0: Yo, there we go. What's up? This is Ambushed. My name is John. I was trained as a pastor and this is the podcast where I try to explore ideas that have quote unquote ambushed me, snuck up on me and given me a sense of greater wonder and joy and mystery. And hopefully it does that for you as well. So this is three, the third one in a series I'm calling After Deconstruction. And what I'm really trying to do is help people that are tired of deconstructing their faith or dismantling it and are interested in doing the next thing, which is trying to rebuild it with this greater worldview that they've been given. Now, this past week, I had a few conversations with some people that uh, they're questioning Christianity, which is totally legit. It's obviously a good thing to do it at some point, but it's a little tricky to do it alone. And one of the wonderful and hard things about the modern world is the internet, is that some people didn't really question the larger world until they went away to college. However, as a result of the glorious internet, people are starting to realize there's a larger world earlier in life. So even like teenagers, even preteens are starting to ask legit questions about Christianity in part because very quickly they realize that there's many stories about gods. There's many stories about how the world came to be what it is. Most major religions of the world have their own creation story and myth, and I don't mean myth in a bad way, and I think even the word myth is sometimes misunderstood, but that's the next episode. This one is called Naming or Pointing, because we're going to talk about the big G-O-D, all right? So, buckle in, because we're going to talk about how we talk about God. There you go. If I was going to summarize this episode, that's what this is. But first up, shout out to some people I know out in Michigan (laughs) that listen. I know that there are some people, I have some friends in like San Diego and California, some others obviously in South Jersey where I'm from, some around the Philly area. I even have friends over in France that may or may not get a chance to listen to this one, Um, but also some other people, and it's fun, but uh, if you... Enjoy this. uh, Please find me on Twitter then at that John Chafee because it's fun to interact with some of you. I've been starting to do that more and more, which I really should have been doing before now. But I'm also going to put in the show notes uh, the way to get on an email list, which I promise I won't flood you with emails. But I'll try to give you a, a heads up if something big is coming, or just to point out like, hey, the past couple months, here are a few things I've done, because we all know life is busy. But let's get into this. This is after deconstruction, part three, naming or pointing. Now, what brought me to this? Okay, it's important not just to think about God, but it's also important to think about how we talk about God. And I've alluded to this thing before, in previous episodes, and but I don't think I quite fleshed it out the same way as I am about to right here. So what do we do with the fact that every culture has got different vocabulary by which ch- to try to understand God, right? And even if you are a part of Christianity, you might have noticed different denominations are beholden to different vocabularies about how to talk about God. Some like to use the word sovereign. Some like to talk about uh, humility. Some like to talk about free will, all of these things. Some like to even use these three big ones called omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and honestly, none of those three words are in either the Hebrew scriptures or the Greek New Testament They actually come from Aristotle. So if you use that vocabulary to talk about God, congratulations, you're talking about God according to Aristotle and how he would, but maybe not necessarily how the Hebrew scriptures or the Greek New Testament does. What? Now we're already starting to poke some bears with that comment, right? But this... This issue kind of first came up to me. I want to say about five years ago. I was sitting down and I was having a conversation with this uh, young gal. We're having a bonfire as a bunch of us, and she had dreadlocks and she was like a full out naturalist, right? A spiritual naturalist. And in the midst of this conversation, uh, I mentioned that I was taking a break from church, and, but then she went into saying. Her natural spirituality, which was fascinating. So I just sat there and I was listening. It was really quite interesting. But then she said, I have a personal relationship with the universe. I was like, oh. And she said, I talk to the universe and the universe talks back to me and it's an infinite loving relationship. And I thought, my goodness that's not too far off from what I have been grown up saying, what I've been encouraged to converse about God. I don't think I used the proper. That's not. That was not a good sentence there. But you can see what I mean. I was like, oh, but for me, I would just call the universe God, but you don't use that same vocabulary, but we've got more overlap than not. And so for me, God is the mystery behind and within sustaining all of the known and unknown universe. It's just we have slightly different vocabulary, but we're pretty close to talking about the same thing. Okay. But that was about five years ago. And since then, that conversation has kind of battled around in my mind and it's come up in conversation. And I've realized that so many times we come along and disagree, or some people would feel the need to correct that vocabulary and be like, no, 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 it's not the universe, it's God. Or maybe she could have done the same thing. No, it's not God, like you think about God, because God's not sitting on some Mount Olympus somewhere. It's the universe, It's about the vibrations. You have to have the right vibrations. Or I could argue back and be like, no, you have to have the right uh, interior inclination in prayer or something like that. But you can hear how we can become very defensive and even protective about our vocabulary. As if to say that our vocabulary is more correct, which it may or may not be. But what's more important is the ideas behind or beneath the vocabulary. Or even beyond that, what's more important is the experience that's being named by the vocabulary. Ah, there we go. So here's the question. Naming or pointing, does our vocabulary 100% accurately name Divine Mysteries or does our vocabulary 100% point towards, like a road sign, what the divine reality is? See what I mean? And when you make that shift, it, it I feel like everything gets a little easier. Because when you're going through a dismantling or a deconstructing of your faith, you can very well nitpick on the vocabulary but I think what's more important is the experience beneath the vocabulary of what you say when you say the word God. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Ah, maybe there's more overlap between all of us than we were taught to assume. Now, Karl Rahner was a a German Jesuit who helped to write impressive pieces, and I've read a few of his books, and sometimes you finish, and you're like, I don't know what I just read, but I think I'm smarter? Um, it's hard to, to gauge all of what he said, but he did write some really wonderful things at the, the pop level. But he also is really formative in those years after World War II as a Catholic theologian. And he went so far as to say this. You ready? That we should just give up using the word God, G-O-D, for about 50 years. Oh. That in the wake of all of the atrocities of Hitler and Stalin and Mao, that it's clear that our vocabulary isn't working or being understood properly. And so he said we should just retire the name or the word God for fifty years, and let it have a soft reset. Let let a full generation and a half or so go along without it. Now, as a Catholic, you would think that's quite striking, but then he says, "Listen, the Hebrew scriptures and the Greek New Testament use many names instead of the word God. So, for instance, um, Lion of Judah or the Lamb." Or the lamb that was slain, or the light, or the life of the world, or uh, the word, or the logos, or I, I really like this one. <laughs> this is a phrase that comes from Plotinus uh, You light who knows no evening. I was like, oh, that's so good. So there's a lot of creative other ways that we could talk about God. And even, I remember one time years ago, I was working at a church and the youth of that church challenged me to never finish prayers the same way twice. So we would pray as a group, and then at the end I would finish, and instead of saying Lion of Judah again, I'd have to say "Mm, the root of Jesse or the love that moves the spheres. That's from Dante. And it was really interesting because it was a way of increasing the things that would point us back towards the experience of God. And that's, I think that's what we're trying to get at in this episode. Because in the 50s and 60s, right around the same time that uh, Carl Rahner was writing his pieces and saying that we should maybe retire the word God for 50 years, there was something known as the Death of God movement. Which, in the light of World War II, it was almost the resurgence of Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, and his famous parable uh, of the madman who says that God is dead. God is dead. Who is it that has killed him? It is us. And there is no amount of water that can wash away the blood from our hands. So there's, that parable is amazing. We should maybe do a full episode on that at some point. But it was known as the Death of God movement. In light of World War II, and in light of the fact that we thought everything was progressively getting better and better with each generation, we then came across in the 20th century the bloodiest century in human history, statistically. With the atrocities of Hitler and Stalin and Mao, we came across realizing we don't seem to be progressing better and better. We're just getting more efficient at exacting out our prejudices. So in the light of that, the death of God movement said, listen, we got a religion, maybe has steered us poorly, or at least religion did not hold back the atheism of Hitler and Stalin and Mao. Religion didn't stop that. Maybe God is dead because God didn't do anything to stop those things. But really, it's we, acting in the name of God, did not do enough to stop those atrocities. Anyways, but Paul Tillich, and then even started a little bit earlier, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and a few others wrote about this thing called theology. Thanos is the Greek word for death. Uh, You might recognize that from Marvel movies, Thano Theology, The Death of God Theology. What really happened is not really the, the death of Christianity. What happened was the death of the super being, of imagining a God that's up there, kind of like Superman, who can see all, hear all, do all, and will come to the rescue whenever you want. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote against that conception of God, like uh, God is a deus ex machina, which is a, uh, it's a Latin phrase for a God that can come in and is the machine of divine escape. And uh, man, Jesus himself did not have a deus ex machina. There was no God that swooped in to save him from being crucified. So Bonhoeffer maybe was one of the first people to question whether or not humanity has moved beyond a conception of God that is just a super being somewhere up in the, in the clouds. So what we had in the 50s and 60s, and obviously now we're still echoing with those problems, we need to realize uh, God is more profound than the vocabulary. And maybe the omnis that we usually talk about God, maybe they don't quite work as helpfully as we thought they did. But all this, we're getting somewhere. Don't worry. We're still headed towards the end end of this. Way back, way back in the 300s, there was a pastor and a bishop named Augustine who said, if you can comprehend it, it's not God. And so Augustine was maybe even also a person who said listen our language can't get close to what the reality of God is. It can't our language can't name God. We can't name God. We can't even comprehend God. And yet here we are with our proud theologies and sophisticated vocabulary thinking that we can comprehend God but here it is back in the 300s in the center of the Christian tradition is this general statement that says, no, we can only point towards the mystery. We can't name it perfectly. And so even in the 300s, we have this humility towards how we talk about God that it certainly feels as though we've missed it. And so all of a sudden, when the 1950s and 60s come along, people start saying, well, maybe our views of God are not as good as they could be. Maybe they're beyond human language. And it's like, great job. You finally discovered what Augustine said back in the 300s. But one way to think about this hmm is that actually the death of God movement was started when Jesus was crucified. That back then, what really died on the cross was our proud assumptions of what God is really like. And so Martin Luther in the Reformation, he said that God is most revealed in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, being crucified. What really happened there was humanity had to have a hard shift and ask itself whether or not it was believing in a deity like Zeus, a proud, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent deity sitting on some cloud, or will humanity believe in the bleeding out of a Jewish carpenter who somehow had unconditional love for even those that crucified him. Humanity had to have a hard reckoning in that moment, whether or not it will continue believing in a Zeus or a Jesus. (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, Just winged that one. Jesus is Spanish for Jesus. But uh, it goes down to saying Jesus doesn't show us what God is like. Jesus shows us what God is. And that's something Martin Luther would say. And there's even one of my favorite figures, Meister Eckhart, in the early medieval ages said, I pray God rid me of God. That all of us at some point need God to come in and help give up our own idolatrous, proud, Understandings of God that we can comprehend and give up those proud, comprehensible understandings of God for the real God that is beyond human conception, comprehension, and instead is the God that we can only apprehend. Now, all right, we're almost there. We're almost at the end. At some point... Um, I think it was Jack Caputo who was, uh, well, he's a philosopher, theologian in the death of God movement. He's a modern writer. He's still around and he writes impressive books. But he's the first person that helped me to realize um, God is more than just a super being. What God actually is, is God is an event. God is the experience of what happens when we experience love directed towards us or when we can give deep love to others. God doesn't exist except where we live in unconditional love. So actually, if you want to say, I want to bring more of God into this world, what you should be saying is, I want to love more deeply. And by doing the act of love, we are making God exist. Now, I understand that some people will be very um, offended by that vocabulary. But listen, First John says, God is love. So if you want to make God more present in the world, just love. It's not that... God shows up when you use the right vocabulary. It's not that God shows up when you all of a sudden are able to perfectly explain a comprehensible understanding of God. No, God shows up when you love unconditionally. You see, all of our vocabulary is helpful, but it just points towards a reality. It points towards an experience, an event, a verb. But it's not the thing itself. So all of this goes back. Let's wrap this up. Okay. So this is after deconstruction, part three, and it is naming or pointing. Let's all try to have a certain level of humility about the vocabulary by which we try to understand experiences of God. It's wonderful to have a vocabulary and sometimes we need deep and profound vocabulary or even really big words. However, it's important to not hold on too tightly to the words because the words aren't the thing itself. The words actually can't name precisely, exactly, fully what God is or what even happens in the experience of God. But you know what? Our vocabulary can maybe point towards what that experience of God actually is. So, may you, this week, fall into greater wonder and joy and love as you come around to realizing that the experiences of the divine that we all are looking for are actually beyond our own vocabulary, but that doesn't mean that the experiences of deep and profound divine love are false. Those are real because everything, all of this wonderful vocabulary, all of this wonderful tradition that we have is all here to help all of us experience deeply this transformational divine love that moves the spheres uh, that was embodied on in the person of Jesus as he's being crucified yet praying for and forgiving those who crucified him. May you this week not get too caught up in your own vocabulary, but instead dive into the mystery of divine love. Oh, isn't that good? And may you come to realize that tradition and the vocabulary and even being a part of a denomination, being a part of an anchored church is a good thing. But may you always realize it is not the thing itself and is instead only pointing towards deep, profound experiences of the G-O-D. May you go this week and live holy and whole. And may you have grace and peace.